Well, uh, every three weeks we do this section called Law Corner with Gareth Abnor. He's a partner with Mally Co. Uh, solicitors who specialise in employment, technology and privacy law. Well, that's Gareth's um, part of the firm. Gareth, a very, very good afternoon to you again, mate. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Good day, Gareth. Good to see you again, mate. It's okay. always great having you on. And uh, Gareth, if you want to talk to Gareth, 0800 801080 is our number, or you can text 9292. They tend to be employment-related questions that we've been receiving, but, but you also specialise in IT, is that yep. right? Yeah. Technology and Technology. privacy. Right. Yeah. So, man, you must have covered a lot of stuff at law school, Gareth. <laughs> yeah. Is it like, do the, the, obviously the different fields, different... Yeah, law school gives, gives you a basis, but it's once you actually start working that you start learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the job training. On the job, brilliant. <laughs> Look, we'll get straight into it. Uh, this is a bit of a curly question. Hi, guys. My friend is a contractor, but the client has referred to breaches of the employee code of conduct regarding a complaint made of her. Further, her contract has been suspended while the complaint is resolved, not terminated. Is she an employee or a contractor? Well, it sounds to me that she's a contractor. Now, the employee code of conduct can potentially apply to contractors. Uh it all depends on what's in the contract. So so this is where people often go wrong. Uh, there's a lot of confusion out there, as we know, um, as to whether someone's a contractor or an employee. But if you're a contractor, everything needs to be in the contract. Right. So the general rule, of it, if it's not in the contract, um, it doesn't exist. Can I ask it doesn't you, apply. Can I ask you a question on contracts? Phil, Phil you'll, you'll be with me on this. Phil and I sign a contract with, you yep. know, uh, and many people have said to me over the years, contracts aren't worth the piece of paper they're written on because you can always get out of them mm. despite what's what are, what are your views on that? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people say that and then get an unpleasant surprise when they get an injunction from the court or, or they get sued. Yeah. Um, I think you, you have to be quite a gambling person to take that attitude. If you agree to something and sign your name to it, you've got to expect that you might be bound by it. Right. Yeah. You also, I mean, I've, I've been through it myself with a situation where you had a contract and then you lost that contract or you were told that, that the company was going to leave that with the, with the radio station, not this one. Yeah. Um, and at the heart of the thing was, it, was it, I could have resolved it in court, but sometimes if it's a fairly short-term contract, to be blunt, sometimes the cost of contesting it. It's not worth it. It's actually not worth it, is it? Yeah, that's right. And I I suppose that's where the the sort of urban myth about a contract's not worth the paper it's written on comes into play, doesn't it? But if you've got a long-term contract and your employer, for example, breaches it, then it's well worth going to court, isn't it? And I would cite the John Hawkesbury with Television New Zealand case as the would the John Hawkesby six million dollars be the biggest settlement you know of for a for a breach of contract for an employee in this country? Uh, that's the biggest one I'm aware of. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Let's go to Sam. Hi, Sam. Oh yes. Good day. Good day. Hello. Gareth's um, listening in. Yeah, um, I've got a bit of a bit of a dilemma. Um, I've been working for a company for eight years, and um, I did sign a train of train of trade um, way back then, and. Um, I've now left to go for another company in the same business. Um, but what, what, I'm, what I've, what I've um, offered is to work for this other company for six months and not go near any more regular customers that I've been servicing up until now. Uh, but my company um, yeah, insists that they're going to take me to court. Well, Sam, um, this is... Um this is related to the conversation we were just having before, um, where sometimes restraints 
are enforceable uh, and a previous employer can prevent you from starting a new job or from taking certain actions when you're in that new job. It all depends on what that restraint actually says. Um, a lot of people are confused about restraints. A restraint can't stop competition. It can only stop unfair competition. So if your previous employer has a legitimate interest that they can protect, they may be able to enforce that against you. Um, I think the best thing is for you to actually get some advice from a professional who can look at the wording of the clause and they can give you a steer um, and tell you whether it's likely to stand up or not. Yeah, I have had, had some um, advice, professional advice, um, and a lot of people that I know that have, that have you know, over the years have had come across this sort of business. A lot of it is uh, um, quite emotive, um, whether it's worth the company pursuing it or not. I mean, it, it, it doesn't look good from the from the company's point of view because they're quite a big corporate company and um, they're trying to sort of, you know, tie up the whole market as it is, um, and you know. Grow their grow their wealth and and stunt others. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and it may look bad for them, but if they really concerned about what you might be able to do, um, you could find your yourself on the other end of proceedings. So something to definitely consider carefully. Yeah, okay, well, I'm sort of down the path of no return now. So, um, gee. I'm Sam, well, good luck with yeah, that, mate. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Sam. It's 19 to 4. That, this, this is what I love about law. It must be an intriguing job because there's a lot of little fish hooks in there, isn't it? Isn't, often right. things aren't yeah. quite straightforward. And often it's not black and white. You no. Know, there's also, a what, whole lot of grey. What Sam was talking about sounded very much to me like a thing that if there was a shred of goodwill on both sides could possibly be negotiated. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, as a matter of interest, when people are leaving contracts and there's acrimony about it, how often do you find yourself actually negotiating a settlement rather than actually having to go to court and let a judge or somebody make the decision? Well, if if I'm involved quite often, I think right. if you end up in court, something's generally gone horribly wrong. Right. Um, especially with employment things, if you end up in court, both parties often lose. Yes. You know, you incur yep. a whole lot of cost. Yeah. Um, you normally don't recover all of that. And if you can avoid it by negotiation or you know coming to some sort of arrangement, that's yeah. often a better alternative. Got to take a break. Just before we go to the break, it may be a quick one. I hope it's a quick one. Um, can a potential employer ask if you've ever suffered from depression during an interview? Mm, that's, that's a really good question, yeah. Do you know the answer? Um, I think it would, uh, it would depend on the job and how it's relevant to the job. Uh, an employer would have to be very careful that they're not discriminating yeah. Um, on the basis of uh, something that's not relevant to the job. Um, if you've suffered from depression and, and left your last three jobs because of that and you struggled to turn up to work and things like that, um, possibly. Mm. Uh, it's certainly something that I would be, I would be thinking uh, twice and three times and perhaps four times before I asked a question like that. Joined by Gareth Abdenor, a specialist in employment law. Steve is joining us on the phone too. Good day, Steve. Yeah, hi guys. Hi, Gareth. Hi, Steve. What's your question, hey, Steve? Uh, my position was disestablished due to company restructuring. Uh, my average, my standard working week for the last two and a half years has been 47 and a half hours. They gave me four weeks notice. Uh, week one, I worked out uh, at work and did my standard 47 and a half. 
the other three that paid out in lieu, that they're only paying me at 40 hours. And I said to them, my standard week is 47.5. My contract says I must work at minimum of 40 hours a week. Yeah, that's... Um, what do you think? I think you'd, you'd have to look very carefully at the redundancy and restructuring part of the contract. Um, it's not unusual for those contracts to provide that if, you, um, if you're given notice due to redundancy that you get paid um, notice at, at your base rate or at your base hours or at your standard yeah. hours. Um, if you've been working significantly more than that, you may have an argument, um, but it's difficult to tell without actually looking at the contract. Yeah, there's nothing in the contract for, for redundancy. Um, Right. Yeah, there's no financial payment, nothing. Oh, there, there could be an argument there. Um, okay. It could be worth running up the flagpole. All right. Oh, well, appreciate your help. Thank you. Thanks, Steve, very much. Thanks, Steve. Could I quickly ask Gareth a question that's come in on the, on the text machine, economy trees and myself. So a person has a restraint of train clause for, say, six months from a company A yep. going to work for company B. Does Company A have any responsibility for paying during that restrictive trade clause or or, or not? Uh, generally, no. no. What they normally do is they provide in the original employment agreement that there is compensation for entering into the restraint um, by offering you the job and paying you your wage. Uh, so the court several years ago said there doesn't need to be an additional payment. Um which was the position previously. So, no, they, they don't need to keep no. paying you. So once you've finished with Company A and you're, you're not allowed to work for Company B for six months, Company A doesn't legally have to pay you for those six months. No. But they can what, stop you working. What does sometimes... For a rival company. Yep. What, depending on what's, what you've agreed to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what does sometimes happen is if you give notice, uh, your employer can put you on garden leave. Right. Uh, while you're on garden leave, you're still employed. You're yes. still an employee of yep. employer A, and they continue to pay you. Yep. But essentially, you have to sit at home and you can't go and start yep. going work for the competitor. Right. There's a question on text here for Gareth. Uh, hi, Gareth. Uh, can an employer ask if you've ever taken a personal grievance against a previous employer without asking the result? That's a, good, that's a tough one, that's too. A tough one, yeah. and, and it's something that we see more and more often. Um, I'm not sure I can give you a yes-no answer to that. I guess the, the real question is... Um, if you are asked that question, you need to think very carefully about how you answer um, because if you lie when you answer it, you're going to be causing even even more tr trouble for yourself. Um, can an employer ask that? Well, I guess you have to think, how's that relevant? Um, is that a prohibited ground of discrimination? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Again, it's a tricky one, eh? Because like you haven't even started the job. You and know what I mean? You whether you're a troublemaker. <laughs> you're a troublemaker. <laughs> and if yeah. you say, "I prefer you don't answer that, ask that question," and I don't want to answer it, then straight away they go, oh, "Troublemaker." Yeah, troublemaker. <laughs> oh, exactly. And yeah. I mean, you can understand why employers ask this because there are some people out there that go from employer to employer, um, raising grievances. Um, yeah, I've I've worked with some farmers in the dairy industry, and the people that go from farm to farm to farm, um, and they'll raise a grievance. They'll 
they'll maybe get five grand out of it and then they'll go on to the next farm. When you have a court case that actually involves a grievance like that, I I know, for example, in criminal court, previous convictions can never be included whatsoever. Are you able to raise at all, if you're the employer who's being sued in, in the grievance, I would say, well, actually, no, this is on the 14th dairy farm that this guy yeah. sued. Yeah, I think if it actually made it to the Employment Relations Authority or the Employment Court, right. um, people would know about the history. Right. What usually happens is it gets settled. Um, right, so it okay. gets settled and money passes hands. Can I, can I go there, Tyler? Just checking. Yep, just very quickly. We're, Tony's been waiting on the line here. Um, hi, Tony, fire away. Yeah, I'll try and be quick. Um, quick question. It follows along the lines of the previous caller. If you were in a position and you took action against your employer and you received a settlement, like you took a personal grievance and you were paid out, but there was a confidentiality clause between both parties, yeah. and you went for another job, yeah. and they asked the same question as your previously caller said, Did you, have you ever taken action against your employer? Would you be able to legally say, um, no, I haven't? Mm. And I, what, what I'm saying is because of the confidentiality agreement, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Smart That's, thinking, mate. Um, smart thinking, Tony. This is no, actually no, no, something no. that comes up all the time. Um, and, and this is where if someone does enter into a settlement agreement with an employer, they need to think about the next step. Mm. So if you agree that you're not going to tell anyone that, that you've raised a grievance and it's all going to be confidential, well, well, then you need to stick to that. And if your new employer asks you, well, you might be in a very difficult position. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Look, there's so many calls. We'll just have to put a hold on there. And, and next time we talk with uh, Gareth, maybe if you haven't had a chance to have your question heard, then save it up because we really enjoy this. But there's just so many calls. Gareth, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks a lot, Gareth. It's great. Gareth Abdenor with Law Corner. And just a note too, the content of this segment is general in nature and is not legal advice. Any information discussed is not intended to be a substitute for obtaining specific professional advice and should not be relied upon as such.